have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! He's back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Welcome back to The Playbook, a podcast all about the NBA and part of the All Indie Sports Network. Today I'm joined by Jack from the All Pacers pod. What's going on, Jack? What's up, man? Glad to be here. Um, You're my favorite podcast to listen to right now, so I am glad that I get to listen to myself talk a little bit this week. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Uh, (laughs) Today we're joined for a special episode uh, by Alexia Jinsa, uh, who played for the Pelicans, Mavs, Raps, and Bobcats. Uh, So I think we should just hop right into the interview. Sounds good to me. We'll just jump right in if that's cool with you. Yep, I'm. Uh, I am ready. Okay. Oh, and also, real quick, uh, I tried to Google Translate some of the teams that you played for in France to uh, pronounce them right. There's no hope. So just feel feel free to correct us along the way. Okay. <laughs> no problem. Okay. Cool. So All yeah, right. Sal, whenever you're ready. All right. Let's do this. Okay, so first question. Um, you are from France, uh, specifically in Saint-Étienne. You can correct me on my pronunciation there if I'm wrong. Um, but what was the basketball scene like there? And also, uh, what was it like as a tall kid in a place where soccer is kind of more prevalent than basketball? Uh, well, growing up in France, growing up in my hometown, um, soccer is very dominant. Uh, so everybody loves soccer. Everybody's dreaming, sweat about soccer all day long. It's really like a soccer, soccer town. So starting going to basketball, it was completely different for me. Um, and trying to, you know, trying to be with a team has been hard because, you know, hard to find like uh, the drive for it because nobody around me into basketball. You know, everybody's into mm-hmm. soccer. My family is not into basketball. So it was really like something fresh for me and my family to get into it um but then um you know once i i got serious with it i started and go uh, end up going to the professional team at the time um that was in my hometown so they just took me under the wing and just started practicing there did any of your friends growing up uh play basketball with you or did you have to go like far away to find like pickup games or open gyms uh it was never like pick a game. So mm-hmm. for for example, like when we have like recess and stuff like that, it was no basketball goals on yeah. recess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was soccer, soccer goals, you know? So yeah. I was playing soccer all day long. And um, so pick up games, basketball, I never had the chance to have like pick a games, um, but then soccer, soccer pick a games, I guess I would, I would just be able to have that at any corner. Um, mm-hmm. So it was different my, my friends that I grew up with end up being like uh, a little bit further than me. So it was hard to be able to connect and go and play basketball. What position did you play in soccer? Uh, I was like the guy that was like to go in there and score um, because I was good with my feet. So I could try to score. They're trying to put me as a goalie, but I never liked that. So I was like, no, I'm not going to be a goalie. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I played soccer. I, uh, I got to say, Goalie's probably the hardest position in sports. So I mean, I I never liked playing it either. I avoided it 
as much as possible. It's really easy to score. It's so easy to get scored on, and then you look like a dummy if you get scored on. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, as a goalie, it's, it's scary because you see the guy coming full speed towards you, and then now he's going, you know, trying to kick the ball like a big bullet into you, uh, into into the goalie, and then you're so scared of it. So I'm like, nah, it's, it's not for me. I can't do it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, we... I don't think we did necessarily an intro exactly, but uh, just if you're listening right now, Alexia Jean says seven years in the NBA, played with the Toronto Raptors. Charlotte Hornets is who drafted you. We'll get into all of this. Um, New Orleans Pelicans, Dallas Mavericks for uh, just a bit during their championship year, um, and we'll talk about that as well a little bit more in depth. But I wanted to start out with your professional career where it started in France when you were 15 years old. Um, and I don't think you were quite seven foot two at that point, pretty close. I don't understand the conversion necessarily between meters. Sal, who's Canadian, uh, does. So he could, we probably should have talked about that ahead of time now that I think about it. But you started with Pole France. Is that how you say it? It's Poe. 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 Just like Paul Gasol. Oh, okay. okay. Cool. So you started out there. Um, you're 15. You're playing with um, a bunch of guys. It wasn't like a bunch of older players. Was it a U21 team at that at that point? I was 17 when I was with that team. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So um, you're playing for Poe. Um, you did uh, I, on Pro Ballers. It has this team called Pole France. It said you played there for three years. I don't know if that's wrong, um, but we'll just. Um, no, I played one year. I played one year with them. And then after that, I played with uh, another team called Toulon. And um, I think I was, well, that was the following year. So maybe 18, uh, 18. Uh, I played eight, 17, 18 with Poe. And then after that, I played 18, 19 with Toulon. And then I got drafted. Oh, okay, cool. So, yeah, let's talk about Poe then. So um, this, you said you're 17. So at this point um, for the season, you averaged 12 and a half points, eight rebounds, two assists. Growing up in France, like you said, it's a soccer country. Um, was there ever a moment where you thought, and maybe this was it when you played for Poe, um, was there a moment when you had that realization of, man, I might be able to make it to the NBA, or was that even a fathom fathomable thought at the time? Um, at the time, yeah. At Poe, yes. Um, the only time when I started like thinking, thinking about NBA was uh, – probably in my French academy, uh, it's called INSEP. Um, so basically it's a bunch of young, the best French guys um, on my group age. We put all, a whole team together and um, it's in base in Paris. So there's the most uh, most talented guys goes to, to, that, to that academy. And then after that, we're playing against uh, pros. So it's like we play against uh, in the third division, um, professional third division. Um, and then that's where we are. That's when, uh, you know, we're, my teammates being on behind my back telling me, oh, you're going to go to the league and stuff like that. And before that, I was like not even very serious with it because I was like uh, thinking, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a uh, professional uh, basketball player, but in France. I never thought about going outside of France. And um, and then I ended up um, following and listening to my teammates. And uh, they basically pushed me to, to, to follow my dream. Yeah. Um, 
speaking of those few teams that you played for before entering the uh, 2008 NBA draft, uh, what was your draft process like, and what were expectations that you had in your head uh, when draft night was actually happening? Uh, so it was it was tough. I have 14 workouts. I don't know how many days. Uh, it was a very short period of window. So I was mm-hmm. always in a plane, always going to play and do workouts for different teams. Um, so it, it's been tough. So I was I was exhausted. Uh, some of them I was I was so tired because of all the traveling I was doing. Um, I was projected to be in the you know maybe in the first round, uh, but in my head I was like I'm gonna go for the being in the green room because I wanted to be in like in top ten. Um, and at the time, you know, I was, I was right there with all the guys that was like supposedly be, supposedly going to the to the green room and top ten. So I was like battling within uh, every workout, you know, every workout I had DeAndre Jordan, Javon McGee, Roy Hibbert. Um, so it, it was like a good competition, um, you know. And I was super skinny, skinnier than them, but I was athletic. I could run very well. Um, and, you know, I was moving on a lot. So that was a little bit different. My game was a little bit different than them, and I could shoot. So a lot of teams was telling me, hey, you were the best guy on the, on the, on the, on the court tonight, uh, today, and everything. So I was like, all right, cool. So I'm going to be in the top 10. I'm going to make it. And, uh, well, top 20. Uh, I was pick 20, so I was completely fine with it. Um, even though I was hoping to be in the top 10, but mm-hmm. 20 was great. Uh, there's a lot of teams or a lot of players that uh, talk about. I know Draymond Green talked about this a while in one of his podcasts. How I, I can't remember which team it was, but one team promised that they'd draft him, and then they passed on him. Uh, came their pick. And was there any kind of teams that promised you a uh, a selection that didn't pick you, or is that, or, or is there any teams that were super like thoroughly impressed with you during your workouts that were confident that they'd make you uh, their selection? I mean, there was a lot of teams that was very interested. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time they had told me, like, you know, I was the best the best center on, on the workout. Very impressive. You know, like the Nets was very impressed because I was um, I was the, 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 the best shooter uh, on that workout as a big man. Um, you know, a lot of teams, Cleveland and um, the Charlotte Bobcats at the time, which I ended up being drafted by. Um, but a lot of those teams were like, Concerned why would I was not playing way more in uh, in French division, and you know I had to explain to them. Say, well, I'm battling a spot with like actually American players that are like 30 years old, and I'm 17, 18, you know, playing against with them. So I'm like, it's it's hard to battle with them, and they got like 30 pounds on me. I got potential, but they got 30 pounds on me. So the coaches are obviously going to go with those guys, which they had a bigger paycheck and stuff like that. So. Um, but uh, yeah, it was not, not really a team that promised me anything. Um, even though the Charlotte Bobcats had told me they were going to draft me, um, they were hesitating on getting me on number nine or number 20. And uh, they ended up getting uh, DJ Augustine on number nine. Pacer legend, DJ Augustine. I mean, we messaged you from all Pacers. You know, we're p- big Pacer fans over here. So shout out DJ Augustine. But uh, let's actually talk about that Charlotte Bobcat um experience your rookie season so you're the youngest guy on this team at 20 years old um with being so young did any veterans step up and take you under their wing and if anyone did uh who were some of those guys 
Uh, yeah, especially at the beginning, you know, I had the language barrier, um, trying to understand everything they were telling me, but it was a little bit harder. So I had uh, I had Rema Felton that helped me a little bit. Um, I had uh, Justin Richardson that helped me a lot, um, put me under his wing and helped me over the housing and stuff like that. Um, and then after that, they ended up uh, trading for uh, Boris Diaw, which is another French guy. Uh, so he put me under his wing and that was way easier because now there's no language barrier. So it was easier for me to do that transition. Um, yeah, speaking of good players, like you mentioned, uh, Boris Diaw, uh, Jason Richardson, you played with a lot of good players throughout your career. Uh, just to name a bunch of them, you got Gerald Wallace, Tyson Chandler, Steven Jackson, Jason Kidd, Sean Marion, Crom Butler, Jason Terry, Dirk, DeMar DeRozan, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, Tyree Evans. I could go on forever, but uh, if you had to pick five guys um, to make a starting five with, um, based on their talent level when you played with them, who would you pick as your as your big five? Uh, oh, you'll be the you'll be the coach in this situation. Yeah, I'm the coach. Yeah, we we usually whenever we ask this question to guests, they always want to put themselves in the lineup, which is great. Um, so we we're assuming that you would be in this lineup, but for the sake of this, let's just make you the coach, okay? No problem. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm the coach. Uh, point guard. That's a tough one because I like I like Drew Holiday the way he plays, and I feel like he's underrated. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, point guard, I I I put Justin Kidd uh, as far as passer and. Uh, leader on the court. Um, position two. Mm. Jesus, that's that's a tough one. Position position two, I'll put uh what Demar Derozan. Um, at the three, I put um. Justin Richardson. Four, I put uh Dirk. And uh, the five, at the five, I want to put AD, but he doesn't like to play five, so it's a first <laughs> position. So yeah. I don't know. I'll probably put um, Tyson Chandler. Okay. You know, um, or even Brendan Haywood. But Brendan was like having a knee problem a little bit when he was with um, with the um, the Mavericks. So mm -hmm. I might put um, Tyson Chandler. Yeah, awesome. That's, that's so fu funny enough, you said that about AD. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I played with AD for a long time. So um, technically, I played six years with him, um, mm -hmm. two years, and then I signed a uh, four-year four extension. Um, so I know the guy like the back of my hand. So he just don't like to play the position five. He just loves position four, which fits him perfectly. Yeah. Um, and if it was me, it was perfect because I don't mind playing five. Um, so, yeah, I was like, well, if I had to choose between AD and Dirk, Dirk is like somebody that I always look up to when I was growing, growing up. So I was like, I can't, I can't put AD. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. That's awesome. And uh, me and Sal, before the podcast, we're talking about a question that we're going to ask in a bit. Um, it's basically who's one of the best players you ever played with or three guys you played with. And he's like, well, we already know the answer is going to be AD. But, hey, we don't know now for sure. So we'll – We'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, most. Yeah, let's just go into it now. Yeah, who's the most talented 
player you ever played with? I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be anyone that we would expect, but yeah, most talented player. Most talented player. I don't know. I mean, Dirk is a Hall of Fame. Yes. You know? yeah. So, I mean, AD is probably going to be a Hall of Fame as well. But um, I would say, I don't know. That's a tough one. Most talented <laughs> player. I guess I put AD, but we'll see. I might, I might put Dirk because Dirk, I know what he has accomplished. So yeah, the whole thing, and I think AD still still have a lot under his sleeves, and I think he's going. He's capable of accomplishing more, but he just, you know, he's still playing. So I was just going to put Dirk for now. For sure. There you go, Sal. I mean, not what we expected. Look. <laughs> I knew it was between the two. I, I, I knew it was between the two. Yeah, I mean, I played with those guys, but they were like kind of end of their career. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's a little bit different. You know, mm-hmm. even. You know, you got Karan Butler was amazing on the court. Justin Terry was amazing on the court. Yeah. Um, you know, the Myers, you know, so the Mars as well. So the most talented guys, that's tough. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you got a longer look at AD. You played with him for a lot longer than you did with um, the Dallas guys. So, I mean, even you that's saying that Dirk's probably up there, I mean, is really saying something about how talented Dirk is. Yeah, and he was at the end of his career, but still scoring 30 points sometimes, 35, you know. I mean, what he did in the playoff versus the Miami hit, it's kind of crazy. It's very crazy. I, I mean, it's it's unexplainable almost, other than he's uh, all-time great, right? That's the only explanation. It sounds, that's the way it sounds to me. So I, I want to talk about your rookie year just a little bit more um, before we get into some more of these other teams. Uh, so like I said, you were 20 when you came over. Um, what's that culture shock like for you? I, I know you're like flying all over the place. Like you said, you had the 14 workouts. So it's kind of like an, an unbelievable experience for anybody, even you know living here in the States. But when you finally made it to Charlotte and you're going through training camp and you're trying to figure out where to live and all of this stuff. Like what's that like for you being a young 20 something? And I mean, culturally, what's the difference? Did you have family with you? I mean, we just want to hear about that kind of like intro to the league. Uh, I came here alone, uh, you know, so it, it was, it was, uh, it was hard. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm 20, but I didn't know how to do simple stuff, you know, like, I didn't know where, how to open a bank account, how to, uh, how to do all that. Um, and I even happened to have all this um, big contract coming in. And I was like, well, I don't understand everything that comes with it, how the taxes working and stuff like that. So to me, there was a big cultural difference because as far as you guys doing taxes and well, the way we do taxes is completely different. Um, so it was, a, it was a little bit different, but I, I would say the, the big cultural difference was uh the way the cities are so in france you have big cities but here like they are like humongous you know like big skyscraper and uh all around uh, every city and coming to charlotte and i've seen uh went to new york uh was amazed by everything the cars is bigger the streets are big, uh, larger and stuff like that so you know like in our streets is a little bit smaller and it's more culture a little bit more because you know we don't tear down the old we just renovate the old we keep the old because it's a part of our history you guys love a little bit more turn down bring new um so it's it's a little bit different in the food 
the food was just night and day for me. <laughs> but I was hard to to be able to accommodate myself to to the food. What's the French cuisine like in Charlotte? Um, was the French the French cuisine? Yeah, did you find any French restaurants in Charlotte you liked? Yeah, I did. Um, it's actually like quite a few. Uh, so they have like nice restaurants, but they have like a lot of French pastries. Um, uh, I would say patisserie like stores everywhere. So we probably have like four or five different locations um, that uh, I think the chef is ever French or the owner is French. So it's very authentic. So to me, it's, it's perfect because I feel like I'm home and I can go and get my little uh, croissant or chocolate croissant and dessert. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect for me because that's how that's how we eat breakfast, you know. So it's different in the textures. I mean, it's, you got to try to be able to see the difference. Yeah, for sure. Um, so did you have a favorite memory, um, or story of your time in, uh, in Charlotte, um, playing for the Bobcats? Was there any rookie hazing moments that you had or, uh, rookie duties that kind of stuck with you as your career went on? Uh, so I, I think, I don't know if it was done before I got to the league, but they started, uh, they, they gave us like backpacks. Um, you know, funny backpacks. I had my little pony backpack and I had to wear that backpack or almost they they wanted me to wear it all year long, but it was just for uh, the training camp. So I had uh I had that and I had a uh, hair coming out of the bag and I will and I it was coming with a little brush and they were telling me I had to go and brush the hair, you know, so it's a, I mean, I still have the backpack because I feel like it's a cool memory. Of course. Um, but it's, you know, it was a funny moment. And um, they, they're trying to get me some, to go get some donuts um, from Krispy Kreme. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at the beginning, I was getting them donuts and stuff like that. And um, Coach uh, Larry Brown, he got mad. It was like, no, nah, no more donuts <laughs> because we got like players that was getting overweight. Um, and they were on the wait list, whatever. So they were like, no more donuts for, no more donuts is allowed in the locker room. Um, another one, they wanted, uh, they wanted chicken wings and chicken breast from, um, we have a, we have a fast food here called Bojangles. Mm-hmm. And, and they wanted me to get them wings and everything from Bojangles. But I was like, all right, well, listen. I can go, I'm going to go get wings. And there's another spot called Five Church and there's chicken wings as well. So I was like, cool. So I get a, bo- a bunch of it and I pay with my money, go to the plane. They look at me and it's like, yo, Rook, what the hell is this? It's like, well, it's chicken wings. Yeah. Like, man, those are disgusting, man. We want the other one. I was like, well, sorry guys, that's all I got. So they got on me because of that. And to me, I was I had this big bag full of chicken wings all by myself with biscuits and nobody wanted to touch them. And I was like, ah, uh, you guys make me waste my money, but another another hand, I was like, I don't see I don't see the difference. So I'm like, I'm fine with it. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, real quick before I move on, who were the or who was the player that was really enforcing the hazing for you? Mm. I would say maybe Gerald Wallace. Okay. Yeah. Gerald Wallace. But then at one point, I was like, 
I played with the fact that I was not speaking very well English. So I was like, I do not understand. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I took the French accent very well. And then they were like, DJ, you go instead of him. And that was perfect for me. So DJ Augustine ended up doing way more than me. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so in 2010, uh, you ended up getting traded to the Dallas Mavericks along with Tyson Chandler, uh, but you only played 10 games before getting traded to the Toronto Raptors midseason. Uh, obviously, um, it's very difficult to be traded in the NBA, but for it to happen twice within six months is, uh, is different. Uh, what was that experience like? Uh, man, I was, I was so pissed that uh you know the Mavericks ended up trading me and I told them too I told the GM when he called me I said I'm pissed because I know you guys gonna go to the championship and uh and it was like yeah we hope so I said no I told you I know I know you guys gonna go to the championship you're gonna win it was like nobody believed me I said that since training camp you know I was like we're gonna win I would keep on telling that to the camera I was like we're gonna win I just felt that we're gonna win so when they traded me I was very mad and I was like at the time, they traded me to Toronto. Toronto had 17 wins. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we had, had the, the season was almost over. And I was like, bro, I'm going to, to the, one of the top, league, top team to the, the worst team. And on top of that, I'm going from 84 to 90 degree, degrees to like 14 to minus four. I'm like, what? <laughs> what am I doing? You know, but um, it was, uh, I, was, I was pissed. I didn't like it. Um, and you know, when sometimes you're so mad that you start to have those, those tears coming down, that's mm-hmm. how mad I was. And I did, I just ended up, you know, enjoying my time in Toronto. Um, but I was just mad because um, yeah, I know the situation. I know what they were about to do. Yeah, so, yeah, no doubt. Did, did you get a call? I mean, is that how you found out the news? Did the general manager call? Um, I guess both times from Charlotte and then from Dallas, or did you find out from like a friend or family member who called you? Well, the Charlotte was Charlotte was during the summer, so it was a little bit, I would say, better. But during during that summer, that's when I lost like four people in my family. Um, you know, I lost my grandfather the, a month before my grandfather died. I lost uh, a cousin, my mom. Then my grandfather passed a month after that. Three weeks after my grandfather was my dad. And after that was my grand uncle, 40 days after my dad. And then I received a call saying I got traded. So to me, it was like everything went down and I didn't want to play ball. But then, um, so that was, that was a tough call, but then, um, when I was at the Mavericks, I'd end up uh, do the warm up. We were in Chicago, and up do the home warm up, um, getting ready to play, getting ready to suit up, and then uh, and then Coach Carlisle could just come on the side, let me know, hey, we're about to they're about to trade you, so we don't I don't want you to be in that mess with the with the media and stuff like that. So if you want, you can just go now and go to the hotel. He was like, okay, well, I end up going to the hotel. And on the way to the hotel, the gym called me and told me that we were about to get traded. But I, I didn't know. I didn't know nothing about it. That's wild. Uh, so I, I want, I'm curious because at following this season, following your time in Toronto, you ended up going back to France to join your former club that you had played for before your NBA stint. Um, 
was part of the reason to go back because you had all of this stuff happen in your family and you weren't there? I mean, what were some of the factors that kind of brought you back to France? Uh, well, it was the lockout. That was the lockout year. Um, and when I was at the Mavericks, that was they were, had the option to pick up my, my fourth year and they ended up not doing it. Um, so then I was free agent and at the same time it was a lockout year. I could have gone to different countries and stuff for like that, but I was like, well, let me just go where I know I, I'm comfortable with and I can get to, you know, different level because now I know I'm going to play, you know, I'm not going to play like behind nobody. I'm going to be the starter. So I was like, let me go and improve that in France, I can produce a lot. And, uh, so I ended up going back. Uh, during the lockout, I ended up just going back to my old team just for like a few moments um, because I knew they didn't have no uh, spot for me. But they I had like a guy that was uh, hurt, so they wanted me to replace him for that amount of time. So just do a, a contract just for the, the replacement. And then when it was off, I just went to a different team. So I actually want to talk about this because you played for this team for two games and I went to look at your stats. It's unreal. I mean, you were 2-0 and during that time. I can't believe they let you walk because I was looking at it. You averaged 21 points, 10 rebounds, 1 assist, but also had a 29-player efficiency rating. And that might not sound like anything to people listening right now, but what I hear when I see 29 is you were playing at an astronomical level during those two games. And it is a small sample size, so I, I don't want to, um, like, buy into this too much. But I looked at the NBA during the 21-22 season, and the list of guys – and by the way, so a 15 is average for player efficiency rating. If you have a 15 PER, you're probably an average basketball player in the league that you're in. So there were three guys in the NBA last season who had a 29 or higher player efficiency rating. That's Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. And then fourth was LeBron, who had like a 26-something. All that to say, during those two games that you played back after your NBA stint, um, you came in and just tore it up. I don't know, like, you must have been shooting 90% from the field and 90% from three or what, but it was it was an all-time. Well, I was I was very efficient. And, um, and uh, I mean, my teammate that, that was there, like, they were struggling. They were struggling to, to, to score they were struggling to get a win. And um, I just went there and then I got them the two wins of the season at the time. Um, I was very motivated. You know, I was, I had something to prove. So I went there and they wanted to keep me, but they didn't have the budget and they didn't have the spot. So I was like, well, and I have to go somewhere else. So it worked well after that one with some another team and, and brought into the championship, but we lost in the champ in the finals. So, I mean, you were the Jokic of that league. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> um, so you played three more seasons in France for uh, Strasbourg, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but uh, you played three seasons for them before getting a call from the New Orleans Pelicans. So what were those emotions that you were feeling uh, when you got that call and you knew you were getting a second chance in the NBA? Uh, it was amazing because that's what I was working for. You know, that's that's exactly what I was working for. And then that's why I keep on pushing to play uh, when I was in Strasbourg, um, pushing everything I could to uh, to show them, hey, I'm still here. 
I still can play. So just don't forget about me. And um, I think uh, I was in Madrid. We were playing against Madrid in your in your league. And uh, that game, I actually have a bad game because I knew like the the gym was there. Sorry, the gym was there for the Pelicans. Um, uh, Del Dent, and um, I was nervous. I was nervous. The the game uh, when Madrid came to our place, I destroyed them. So they started double team me, and I would have I was shooting badly. But then after that after that game, um, they basically called me and say, "Hey, we we would like you to come over." So I ended up talking to one of my teammates there. Uh, actually, two of my teammates. One is like um, a guy that I actually, you know, play with since we're young. And the other one is uh, Ricardo Greer. That now he's uh, assistant coach with um, Dayton, um, uh, Dayton, Dayton University. Um, so I end up just talking to him, saying, "What do you think?" He was like, "Man, you're nuts. Just go." I was like, "Well, I, I, I'm just gonna leave you guys, leave you guys in the middle of the season." He was like, "Man, don't worry about us. Just go." And I was like, "All right." I'm out. <laughs> it's like this is the NBA. I'm out. You know, it's, that's because in my my mind is always I've been in NBA or nothing. You know, I didn't want to go back to overseas, so it was a no brainer. Was the transition from France to New Orleans a lot easier than the transition from France to Charlotte? Because I mean, I've never been to France, but it seems to me that the most French city that we have here in America is New Orleans. That's true. Um, you know, a lot of French, a big French community over there. And they have a French council over there. So it was a lot of French people, period, you know. So, um, and it was easier because now I was moving with uh, my girlfriend at the time, ended up being my wife. Um, so it was way, way easier, you know, be able to find stuff for left and right. Now I could speak the language very easily as well. So there was, it was way more, way more easier, and the food and it's like close to home, so it was, it was good. I enjoyed that. That's cool. So you played um, a total of four seasons with the Pelicans, but your first season was 2013-2014. You started 30 games and played an important role throughout that season. I mean, what was it like playing with that team? It wasn't a particularly great team, but it wasn't a team where it's an easy win against either. So I mean. Uh, what's that like coming right back to the NBA and immediately playing a, a big part on a team like that? It was good. Um, it was good. I mean, it was a young team when I got there. Um, so it was a bunch of us. It was young and um, most of us didn't get like our opportunity with all the team. <clears throat> Sorry, with all the teams. So they were giving us a chance, you know, to prove what we were capable of. So they gave me that chance and I tried to do everything uh, in my power to show them what I was capable of, what I was just learning to do in France. So play more back to the basket and also be able to shoot twos and threes. So I ended up just doing that. Um, you know, it was great because when I first got there, Monty Williams helped me tremendously to uh, to keep on, you know, pushing my games to the next level. So that was great. But then after I ended up, you know, getting uh, the team, uh, told him that he did, you know, he needed to go. So they get rid of him. So it was uh, different. Yeah. I mean, I, I, he's a player's coach. Uh, I mean, is that your favorite coach that you've ever had or who, if any other coach was one of your favorites? 
No, I would say yeah. I would say uh, Monty Williams and the the staff that was with Monty. Uh, it's probably the best the best staff that I've been around. Um, even though uh, Rick Carlisle was great, um, but I, I had um, that's who I played the most. Uh, I think uh, Monty Williams. So that was uh, I would say like yeah, those guys. That's who would like I enjoyed the most to play with. Um, once you settled back into uh, the NBA. Um, and you weren't really a rookie anymore. You didn't have these rookie duties and all that uh, stuff that they'd make you do when you enter the league. Um, and now I guess you were kind of establishing yourself as a veteran uh, in the NBA, I guess you could say, or in basketball as a whole. Um, was there anything specific that uh, you and your teammates did or you did on road trips or you did in your spare time outside of playing uh, and practicing and such? Um, we, we love to stay, like get together and just go and watch some movies. Um, so we used to go just, I had a group of guys that just were not really interested in going out and stuff like that. We're just going, probably go get something to eat real quick and then just go and watch movies, uh, for days. Um, that was it. And, uh, that was, that was the dope thing that we could do because we even invited like people from the staff, like, you know, the, the the trainers and stuff like that the ball boys they were coming with us and just going you know just go and watch the movies um especially when it's like movie premiere and stuff like that so it was dope that's cool and you know once you're in the nba you're like famous famous so i'm sure going out was a chore at times um so yeah we we always like to ask guests what they did in their free time because time and time again it seems like you just have a lot of free time since you can't really go out yeah, I mean, we do. Uh, we do have a lot of free times. I mean, sometimes we do go out, but we don't try. We're not trying to stay late. Um, so I never like trying to get into that lifestyle. Um, but it, like, yeah, what we do is watch movies, uh, entertain each other. They're trying to stay together, and so some some teams are like that. A lot, not a lot of teams are like that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the best thing is to be able to have like. A, I don't know, a, a great core guys, you know, you can do stuff with um, and just, you know, trying to do stuff together or learn. And I was trying to study a little bit and stuff like that. Um, and, and that was it. Well, okay. I, now I want to ask a question based off of what you're saying. Um, so I'm sure you've made some great friends throughout your time in the NBA guys. I'm, I'm sure you still keep up with to this day. So I kind of want to categorize some of them. Who was like your go-to friend if you just want to have a good time? That's who you're gonna hang out with, and then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, who's the friend that if you go out with, you're probably gonna get in trouble? Not like in a like arrested type of way, but just like man, I don't know if I should hang out with this guy right now. We have a game tomorrow. <laughs> uh, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but I, I just wanted to ask that. No, nah, I mean. A good time to just like go to restaurant and movies. Um, Ryan Anderson um, was a great time, but this all the guys were like doing the same thing. It just certain would just like to do go out too as well. Um, so I would say Ryan Anderson would go to movies, restaurants, stuff like that, um, and then go out. Probably uh, might get in trouble. It'll be Quincy Pondexter. Um, but Quincy will also go to the movies with me. So, well, I mean, this is, it's just a, the same type of guys that we have around. 
I love to hear it. Thanks for uh, giving an answer for that one. That's that's fun. Yeah, of course. Because uh, we've talked to some guys in the past that uh, actually uh, on the Pacers, uh, I guess last season, Kiefer Sykes, I don't know if you know who that is, but um, he was talking about how there was different like cliques uh, amongst the team and different groups of guys that hung out. Uh, did you have an experience like that on any of the four teams, I guess, you played on where different there's different groups amongst the team in itself yeah it is um you know sometimes you had a group of older guys they just hang out with with each other because they have the same interests a group of young guys when they get a little bit everywhere and go into places and, you know and um then you have to you know, have clicks that just relate more with each other they have the same background and just chill together so yeah it's a little bit different and sometimes you have a click of you know just foreigners <laughs> yeah, you know, because we all, I don't know, um, in my in my in my team with the Pelicans, we had uh, Omer Asik was a Turkish player, um, so me and him could relate on a lot of stuff um, because obviously his lifestyle and stuff like that. So we hang out together, but we also bring all the guys that actually understood and trying to be a part of it. So it was it was a bit different. So on, and I was trying to remember when this day, when this game was. Um, but on January first, twenty fourteen, you started for the New Orleans Pelicans against my beloved Indiana Pacers. I actually went to this game, uh, and I know this might just sound like I'm just saying this since you're on the podcast, but I do remember you doing the jump ball. That's basically all I remember until I was texting a buddy today. I texted all my friends who are NBA fans, like, "Hey, I'm." talking to Alexia Jensen later, any memories, um, maybe you couldn't lock something. He said, oh, what about the Roy Hibbert dunk? And I looked it up. It was this game. You posterized Roy Hibbert. Um, it was amazing. Yep, an amazing poster dunk. I was there. It unlocked that memory for me. But where does that rank amongst your best career dunks? Because at the same time, I had another one of my buddies, Will, text me and say, you know, he posterized Andre Drummond, too, who on this podcast we <laughs> consistently referred to as the GOAT. In basketball. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. I did. Um, I don't know. Um, that where I Hebert dunk, it was good because it was just me coming back and boom, I just dunk on him showing, you know, because at the time they were talking about him being the best defense, defensive player. Um, so that was great to be able to show that and get some. Um, yeah, I did dunk on uh, Andre. I think, yeah, I came down and then I just dunked face-to-face or something like that. He's trying to block it. Um, I don't know. It's it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot of dunks. What's your mentality? What's going through your head when you're driving down the lane? Are you thinking every single time I'm going to dunk on this guy? If the guy is taller, yeah, I'll probably go on trying to dunk on him <laughs> 99% of the time. Because I always took that as a challenge, uh, uh, me showing off that I could, like, I was actually better. So I always trying to dunk on, on the guy that was taller or same height, you know, trying to prove a point. Well, yeah, let me ask real quick then. So who's one guy that you wish you could have dunked on that was taller than you that you just could never quite dunk on? Mm. Or I guess who's your dream person to dunk on? <laughs> Shaq. Great, great, great answer. Shaq, um, well, 
yeah, I was not able to do that. <laughs> um, but uh, some of that, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I dunk on, uh, I don't think I dunk on DeAndre uh, Jordan. Um, but it is somebody that was on my top list I wanted to. Yeah, uh, just talking about, I guess, the highlights of your career. On April 8th, 2016, you played 37 minutes against the Lakers, and you led the Pelicans to a win with 28 points and 15 rebounds. Now, statistically, this might have been the best game uh, for you in the NBA, but in your opinion, what was the best game in your whole career? In my whole career? Hmm. Or in the NBA and overseas? Well, I mean, the NBA, that's that game. Mm-hmm. You know, 25, 28-15. Um, yeah, this might be the best game. And I have another one with uh, I'm against Miami. And I end up uh, scoring the the last basket. Um, we were down the whole time. And by the end, I just went above, uh, put the last two points to go above. I think I scored 24 or something like that, or 26, something like that. Um, I got quite a few nice, nice games. And when they actually gave me the, the opportunity to show what I was capable of, I would show up. Um, but overseas, I would say like um, I had like uh, 28 points, eight rebounds, eight, eight, eight steals um, in France. I think it might be one of my best one. Or I had uh, I had one before the NBA um, was like eight points. Uh, eight points, fourteen rebounds, and ten blocks. Shoot, you know, and that was one of my one of my nice one. Um, and D, in D League, in D League at the time, I had a triple double, mm-hmm. uh, twenty ten and ten blocks. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have quite a few. It was nice. Well, okay. Do you remember your best block then you've ever had in your career, or the one that means the most to you? I don't have, I mean, I know, what's his name? Andrew Wiggins tried to dunk on me, and I blocked it, and it bounced back, hit the back of the, of the rim. Um, I mean, that's a good one. I mean, he's he's crazy athletic, so I know he was coming in ready to embarrass you, and you stopped him. That's good. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, right after they dunk over uh, Rudy Gobert, so... Yeah, <laughs> I was glad he didn't, he didn't go through with me. Uh, yeah, against Frenchman. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so speaking of blocks and playing defense, uh, who would you say are the most difficult players that you ever had to guard in the NBA? Shaq. I mean, it's simple. <laughs> just, to sh- just to tell you a story, I got on the court because Shaq went out and he was with Phoenix at the time. Because I got on the court, so Phoenix coach ended up putting Shaq back, <laughs> and it was a free throw. Um, I tried to box him out. He threw me on the side, got the rebound, dunk. I came or I came right out. <laughs> I tried to box him out. I, I I was around 220 at the time, and I tried to push him out as much as I could. I couldn't do it. Um, just too hard to guard, too heavy, too skills. I was like, and it was Phoenix, so he was already, you know forces in the career mm-hmm. so what would you say is your uh, welcome to the nba moment uh i guess throwing it back to your rookie would that be that would be it that'd be it, <laughs> it. yeah 
that's, that's uh, yeah Shaq is uh, regarded as that yeah <laughs> uh, sure. so, real quick any sneaky good 1v1 players uh, that you ever played against maybe on the court uh, or someone that was on your team mm. Tyreek Evans Tyreek Evans was tough um, <laughs> it was very tough um I think a lot of a lot of people would misunderstood him, um, and I just wish he had maybe like a better surrounding um, outside of basketball. But um, on the court, I thought he was like phenomenal. I love playing with Tyreek Evans, and this is an amazing dude. So I was you know always catching up with him. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, we're we're both Tyreek Evans fans, Pacer fans, so we're we're always rooting for him over here. Um, yeah, no doubt. Uh, hopefully, he can make his return to the NBA. If not, I mean, I he guess is that's reinstated. Okay, but yeah, yeah, he's he can, reinstated. He sign, uh, I hope so. You know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, kind of capping off the rest of your NBA career in 2017, uh, and I guess 2017 season, uh, you couldn't play due to your knee injuries, um, but you did end up playing overseas. I believe back in France. Uh, for the 2018-19 season, um, and yeah. then announced your retirement after that. Uh, what kind of went into uh, the thought process of um, calling it a career uh, at that point? Um, I mean, to be honest, I'm still I still can play right now. I could if a NBA team give me a shot, I can be in shape and be able to produce um, the way the basketball the way they do the basketball is. I fit right in right now because I can shoot in twos and threes. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, at the time, I decided to go overseas, though, go back to France um, and trying to do the same process that I did before. And um, and then didn't click with the coach. Um, that was that was it. And then I was like, you know what? Going overseas, leaving my family here, my boys here, um, it's not for me. And um, I was like, I. I have to have my boys with me, and they were going to school. My wife had her uh, event, celebrity event planner here in in, in America, um, on TV and stuff like that. So I was like, I can, I can tell them everything to move everything come with me. So I was like, well, all right, this is it for me because I couldn't do it. So that was it. That was just the the whole thought process. Do you ever hope to play in the NBA again, or have you kind of you're just not gonna come out of retirement or? Or you're satisfied with your career? It just don't. It just stopped talk. It just stopped calling and stuff like that. Um, even for workouts, you know. So I was like, wow, just call me for workouts, you know. And then I said, I can show you. But um, nah, it was just not happening. So I was like, well, it's, it is what it is, you know. I tried to keep on trying, year and then a year after that. Um, but I went when I was in France. I was still in con- uh, under contract with uh, the Clippers because I got traded. So the still with the Clippers, but the Clippers didn't want me to be there. So they kind of waved me. So. Yeah, that was the uh, general manager. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Del Demps. That was his second to last move as a general manager was to move you for Wesley Johnson. Do you feel in any way honored that that was one of his last moves? or? <laughs> no, because I knew Wesley Johnson was not going to fit with that team. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I knew I had a playoff AD. Um, and it, when AD was hurt, I could produce the same, uh, you know, skill set. 
um, not as as good as AD, but I could produce this in, in as much as it could some games. So I was like, well, I will fit right in. But you know, they decided to go the other way, so it was it was fine. Um, just I knew it was not going to be the good fit for him, and I knew that it's going to go back to it's not gonna it's not gonna fit well after that for him to do that move. Yeah. Uh, we just actually had Shelvin Mack on recently, former NBA player, uh, and we were asking him, how would you fit in today's NBA, which we're going to ask you that too, but we were asking him the same kind of, you think you'll ever make a run back to the NBA? And he said, well, I was hoping to with all these 10-day contracts that were being thrown out last year, but I never got the call. That's true. That is yeah. true. Uh, that is true. I know it will feel perfectly well um, with a lot of things. Um I never, I never needed like a lot of minutes to be able to score um, or impact the game somehow on a point or rebounds. Um, and I think I show that, you know, sometimes I just come in five minutes and I still get my two, three points no matter what. Um, so I was still doing something. So I know I can produce and help the team at some, some level. Um, but it had to come from something from the team, not from me. Yeah, I'm sure you could give your uh, buddy Anthony Davis uh, might be looking for another center to put out there with him. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe get a workout with the Lakers, you know? Yeah. I mean, you guys both said it. It doesn't sound like he wants to play center. So, <laughs> who knows? Man, maybe they need one. <laughs> well, uh, well, we are running out of time, so I, I would love to just kind of – jump in real quick to some of your like French basketball national team stuff uh you played I mean I'd love to hear where you think you uh stand amongst French basketball players all time um and then I mean we don't have to dive too deep into it but then in, in 2016 um you didn't make the roster what happened there and I mean do you even like know necessarily what happened We'd love to kind of just hear your perspective on that. What was in 2016 European Championship? Yeah. Uh, I think I was hurt. That's when I, I had that my, Achilles. my Achilles. Yeah. Yeah. So I had my Achilles injury, and that's that's pretty much it. The Pelicans called me back, and I just came back. I was, that was it. Like they basically told me, "Hey, we invested." I thought it was the gym. It was like, "Well, I just talked to the coach and the owner." They said, we invested pretty good money. We don't want you to come back injured. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was it. I mean, that those French players too. I mean, you're in your 30s now. I mean, a lot of these guys around your age were coming up from France. Did it revitalize basketball in France or even start the uh, trend of good players coming out of France? I mean, do you see yourself as a pioneer? Uh, yeah, probably. You know, I mean, at the time we had a lot of guys, but now we have a lot of young guys coming up. Um, and, I mean, we saw what they were doing in, during the Olympics, you know. They lost in the final against USA. So, you know, it just showed that, you know, we have a great uh, great basketball uh, generation coming up. Um, and you just got to watch out. You just never know who can come out. And I think we have some young guys coming up as well that, it's going to shock, and it's going to shock the NBA. Oh, Victor Webanyama's French, right? 
Hoping, hoping Indiana, hoping Indiana can get him. That that would be a, that would be something different, like seven to seven five. <laughs> uh, I was real quick. I was talking to a Thunder fan the other day, and I said, "I mean, what do you think about your draft pick?" And he goes, "Victor." I was like, uh, "No, uh, this year he's already looking ahead. He thinks they're going to get Wimbenyana. He's dead serious when he said it too." So he can. He only they only have Chet. So what else? You know, how many guys do need? And if that team is not good now, like, what is the one more is going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, they have a bunch of young, talented players. What else? One more young guys, what is that going to do? He's going to need to be adapting himself, learn the game. That's that's too much for them. They don't they don't have time. They need to, yeah. they need to stop winning. Yeah, know, exactly. So. I agree. Okay, yeah. Guys, I'm, I'm not going to – I'm going to have to go soon because uh, the kids got to go to bed. For sure. Cool night. Yeah, of course. Sorry. And see ya. And uh, also, I want to I want to add that up. Um, this is my brain. You know, this is John Morant. So it's mm-hmm. like the ninja on it. It's called Dear B Ball. B the the letter B, B Ball. So we have a bunch of different athletes. We also have a bunch of. I think we do have some media page and stuff on it. Um, if we don't, it's actually coming up. But we have a lot of different, it's for all the NBA fans that love NBA. So we have some stuff coming up. Um, actually came out today for uh, Kobe because it's 824. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, check this out for tomorrow. Too. It's gonna be yeah, you can send us that and uh, we'll mention it in the, uh, in the caption. I mean, real quick, you want me to ask you if you've been working on anything right now and we can put that in the podcast? Uh, I, yeah, I totally forgot to ask. Um, hey, Alexi, before we let you go, um, what are you working on now in your career post basketball? Um, anything you want to talk about? So yeah, in the career, I end up um, investing in this brand. Um, it's called Deer B Ball. Um, so it's a bunch of um, design for like you know NBA stars that have their nicknames and, and you know slogans sometimes on it. Um, so we just have a new stuff new stuff coming out all the time uh i believe we have uh the sleeping steph curry on as well uh it said night night um so it's all different nice design and shorts that comes out um so that's one part of it i build out a solar panel company uh out of charlotte right here so we service the entire usa um and then that just started getting into real estate so yeah it's it's a lot of stuff i love to be a entrepreneur that's my new life yeah, keeping busy. That's what's busy. up, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, keeping you busy. Well, hey, uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of The Playbook. Um, hope you have a great rest of your night. Thank you. You too, guys. Yeah. See ya. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, no problem, guys. It was fun. Oh, for sure. Well, uh, yeah. Have a good night. Good luck with your kids. Uh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. They're going to give me a hard time. So. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Love it. You guys have a good night. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. Jack, I think that was pretty awesome hearing all those stories from Alexi. Uh, A lot of new insights from uh, an inside source in the league, I guess we could say. Oh, yeah, man. Always a blast. It's one of those – I mean, he's one of those players who I distinctly remember seeing in person. And it's – I mean, he's not a pacer. So that's – I mean, he stood out to me in some way back in the day. Well – 2014 I guess eight years ago crazy but he stood out to me then um and it's cool to talk to him and hear some of his stories I mean he said the hardest player he ever 
guarded with Shaq and he told us that story. That's all we want to hear are crazy stories like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, once again, uh, we thank Alexi for joining us and we thank our listeners for uh, joining us on this week's episode of The Playbook. Uh, and we will catch you next week. Have a great rest of your morning, evening, afternoon. Hey, real night. quick, Sal, we, we got to shout out our title sponsor. And we, we do forget. we do have to shout out. Uh, you know, I'm going to let you shout out yourself here. Yeah, so uh, shout out Jack Brown Videography, Louisville, Kentucky's top wedding videographer. I, uh, I read this because that's who's paying for this podcast, um, who's paying for our website as well, allindiesports.com. If you want to read what Sal's written... I don't know if you've written yet. Maybe once. If you want to read what I've written a couple times or if you want to read about what the Colts are doing right now in the offseason, go check that out, um, allindiesports.com. But, yeah, Jack Brown Videographies, who's paying for all of this. It's a little awkward to read that because that's my own business. But, hey, man, that's what we have to do for tax purposes. So, shout out. <laughs> hey, but uh, hey, let's bring it right back. Hey, shout out Alexia Jeansa again. That was, that was a ton of fun. And, Sal, like I said, this is my favorite podcast to listen to. So um, keep keep up all the hard work. Um, you guys are bringing great content. And uh, hopefully I can come back on next week. Hey, maybe. I'll have to, I'll have to schedule you in see see what we can get going on here. I, I know you're a busy guy. We're a tight, I, I we're a got... tight run podcast. So just, just tell me no, okay? If you just don't <laughs> want me on the podcast, just say no. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll catch all you other guys later. And, uh, Sounds good. Peace see out. See you next week.